Blog Talk Radio. Good Saturday morning, my friends. Saturday, March 22nd. Can you believe it is spring? And they said we might get more snow in Philadelphia on Tuesday. Well, my son told me that <laughs> you got to be kidding. We have had so much snow this winter. I was going to wash my car later today, but I'm going to put that off. But I want to welcome all of you to Off the Shelf again for this Saturday, March 22nd. We're into spring and could get more snow. But I, I thank you so much for joining us here this morning. As I always tell you, I appreciate you so much. It's such a joy to have you here with us, especially our listeners who have been with us for going on 11 years. 11 years! 11 years. So I thank you for your loyal support. And to our listeners who who just are just tuning in to Off the Shelf Radio for the first time, I want to introduce myself to you. I'm your host, Denise Turney. And I always say I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. And thank you again for your support. And please go out and get a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. You're going to get mystery, romance, the friendships in this book. They extend across decades, the friendships that these guys develop in college. And then there is a very gripping relationship between a father and a son. And you'll see how it changes both men as the story unfolds. If, if you value relationships and friendships and you, you like romance and mystery, you will really enjoy Love Pour Over Me. And there's about six main characters in the book that you can really, really get close to. You can get Love Pour Over Me anywhere, online or offline. It's an ebook form. It's in print, Barnes & Noble, uh, Walmart, iTunes, anywhere, Amazon, ebook it. You can get it. If you don't see it in the, on the shelves in the stores, just ask the clerk for it, and they can order a special copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And you can read free excerpts at my website, which is chistell.com. So please go out and support Love Pour Me. And, again, I do appreciate it. I appreciate you so, so much. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. I'm we have had some phenomenal guests on, and 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 in, I got to tell you, in the coming weeks, the very first part of April, we're going to have a guest on who sold over more than 120 million books worldwide. He's been television, you name it. So I really think you'll enjoy it. Continue to listen to Off the Shelf because we just keep coming up with these fabulous guests like our guest today. Now, our special guest today is Charles Macy. Charles grew up in upstate New York. He served in the United States Navy for six years. He also has an engineering and sales background, and companies he has led include Macy Engineering Associates, Infotech Consulting, and Catercats Catering. I like that name. Periodicals Charles has been published in include Reader's Digest, Twilight Zone Magazine, and Analog Publications. He is the author of the book Stains on the Gavel, A Boy in the Bin, which is a children's book, and penned a Kentucky True Crime. You can learn more about Charles and his books by visiting him online at www.starshowpublications.com, which is spelled the way it sounds, S-T-A-R-S-H-O-W-P-U-B-L-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S.com. And again, that's starshowpublications.com. So you can go over there and check him out, read his some uh, more information on his books, even as you listen to him interview on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Charles. Good morning. Good morning to you and uh, all your listeners. It's just such a pleasure to have you here with us to bring another. That's what makes our shows good, the things that our guests share, the entertaining things, how they develop their stories and to learn more about their books and the, uh, with their experiences in the book publishing world. It's just that's what makes Off the Shelf a great, great show. So I want to thank you for being here. I want to start, I always like to give our listeners some backstory on our guests so they can get just a little background information on our guests before I launch into questions about their books. So I want to start by asking you, Charles, what was life like for you when you were a kid growing up in upstate New York? 
Well, I, I don't know if I can answer that because I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I'm, I'm 65 now, and I, um, and I haven't determined that yet. <clears throat> so, but, so uh, but, you know, uh, apart from that uh, jab at humor, um, uh, I, I had a pretty good uh, upbringing. Um, you know, I lived in a, a modern neighborhood and went to modern schools and everything like that, and you know, I had... Uh, um, two sisters and a brother, and you know we all used to tease each other, and it was a pretty wholesome environment. Okay, okay. Now, what what did you said you, you, your joke about? You haven't grown up yet, you, so you haven't decided what you want to become. But when you were a kid, what did you dream of becoming when you grew up? Did you ever think, you know, I want to be whatever? When you were a kid, what did you dream of becoming? Well, for a long time, I thought about being uh, uh, a Christian minister. Um, I was I was really sort of immersed in in my faith, and and uh, I thought that was a, a good job. But you know, it was kind of one of those things that I also there was a materialistic side of me that I wanted to make money, and um, I knew that. Uh, pastors and, and priests and um, people of the cloth didn't really make too much money. So, well, some of them do. Well, <laughs> some of them do if you got a big church, uh, right? But I, you know, I, I really didn't. I wasn't really concerned about, um, you know, what I want to be when I grow up because I was, I was, I've always had a youthful attitude and. I just didn't really know. I, you know, there were a lot of uh, opportunities. Um, one of the biggest problems I had was what I wanted, which was to be a disc jockey. Ah. Um, they said, they said, oh no, 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 you can't do that. That's 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 not for you. You need to be an engineer, or you need to be a doctor, or a lawyer, or something like that. Well, you're not you're not going to waste your talent being a disc jockey. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and as as life went by, uh, one of the one of the things that I did was I started a. Uh, this was back in the seventies. I started a a sound company, and I went around from bar to bar being a disc jockey. Ah, okay. So you you did get to do what you you wanted to do. I, I gotta ask you two more questions before we start talking about Panda Kentucky True Crime. How disc jockey, and then you were your your family was encouraging you to go into engineering was more of a stable career, and engineering does pay well. How what happened? When did this happen, and what happened that caused you to know I'm going to be a novelist? Oh, that's always been inside me. I mean, when oh. I was growing up, and 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 just you know, I'd write little stories and uh, do little. Uh, play skits. Uh, I remember playing with my uh, my siblings, and, and I, I had a, 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 a movie camera, a little eight millimeter movie camera. And I used to make movies of you know uh, the same person coming out of a barrel and and just weird stuff, you know. And I would make up stories uh, and and have uh, my siblings uh, help me as supporting acts, you know, supporting part of the act and all that, and film them, just to entertain my parents and friends that was, were watching. And uh, gradually, I mean, as I got older, I, I, I was submitting articles to magazines and all that. And uh, I always liked to write. I had a pretty good command of uh, the English language. And... I just really never got to that point of being a novelist until later in my my years when I I finally you know took took the charge of the reins and and, uh, and I wrote pen. Wow! So for the for our, our off the shelf listeners who love to write as a as a child and and you're thinking wow it's passed me by I'm just going to stick with this job that I have. You can be encouraged with Charles Macy's story. You can still go back and and do it. Another question that when I was researching for your interview, something that popped out to me that I found very very interesting. Now I was born in Ohio and grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, 
moved in when I was nine, and then now I'm in Philadelphia after I got out of the Navy. I, I wanted to ask you, you're a long way from upstate New York these days. How in the world, just curious, how did you get from upstate New York to Kentucky? Well, believe it or not, I I always hated where I grew up. I, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. Okay. And I really didn't I didn't like it at all. So, you know, I, I mean, I did my stint in the Navy, and I got out, and I, I worked for a while in the engineering field. I, I have a, a degree in engineering, and I worked for a while in the engineering field, and a lot of what I did was contract engineering. So I went from place to place. You know, I lived in 13 different states, and they were all wow. better than, than New York. But... For whatever reason, I always kept getting yanked back to New York uh, for family or, um, you know, I, maybe a job ended or something like that, and I, I came back and, and then something else would pick up, but I'd go to another state. And I've had, a, a, you know, pretty mobile life throughout the course of my life, you know, in different things. Now, I came back in 1995 and pretty much decided I'm sick and tired of traveling and ended up uh, having a couple different companies that I I was involved in. I was involved in uh, uh, an engineering company, and then I shifted over to uh, the IT business, and I was CEO of an IT company. Sold that out in 2003. I thought I was going to retire, and I spent about six months uh, just drinking myself into a coma, and I, I decided that uh, this wasn't my life. So mm-hmm. I ended up starting a catering company with uh, my, my girlfriend. And I did that uh, for quite a while until about 2008. And I decided I'd had enough in New York and um, met a girl on the Internet. And uh, she lived in Kentucky, and that's how I ended up ah. down in Kentucky. Oh, okay. You're adventurous. And also, uh, um, you're definitely an entrepreneur, it, it, no doubt about it, no doubt about that. Now, when and why did you write Pinned, A Kentucky True Crime? Well, I got, like I say, I got wrapped up with this uh, young lady in Kentucky and fell head over heels. And it turned out that, that she uh, was in actuality a black widow and i didn't realize that i was blinded by love and oh wow six weeks after i moved in with her and her i had come back to syracuse got all my possessions and moved down there and six weeks later uh i was arrested uh for you know uh, what she claimed were, were factual and um thrown in jail and in the meantime she packed up the house and all her possessions and all my possessions and moved and left me down there in in, um, in Kentucky with no resources, no friends, no money. Wow. And pinned, uh, Kentucky True Crime, is actually uh, a journal of wow. what happened to me. It's a true story. I mean, everything in the book is true. Oh, my goodness. And... I actually lived it. Now, the reason why the character list is different is uh, I knew I was going to write this book when I was sitting in jail, and uh, I said, you know, I, I don't need to have anybody coming after me for uh, uh, plagiarism or anything like that, uh, but I do want to get the the story out. And my my friends encouraged me, oh, you, you know, you need to write this book. You need to tell this story. And that's how it how it all came about. It actually, wow. the formation of Pinned happened when I was in jail. Now, when when was the book published? Originally, the book was published in 2012, and uh, I spent about, maybe about nine months with that publisher, spent a ton of money, and they did absolutely nothing for me. So mm. I designed the... Um, um, the content of the book and 
switched publishers, uh, uh, got a new cover and everything like that, and reintroduced the book with the new publisher in 2013. And by then, I had uh, almost completed the Stains on the Gavel, which is part two of the story. Wow. So that's why uh, the first uh, pen came out in... um, March of 2013, and Stains on the Gavel came out in June of 2013. That's why wow. they're so close. To, I've yeah. both. Now, okay, this is based on true real-life experiences that you have. Can you tell our listeners what, what do you go from, like, your childhood, or do you start, tell, can you just tell us a little bit, without giving the story away, what do you cover in, because Stains on the Gavel takes up where pens uh, stops. But can you tell us what, where do you some of the parts of your life that you cover in Penned, a Kentucky True Crime? And do you give us background on the the, the woman in the story as well in the book? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, Penn starts out my arrest, and then it goes back into the backstory, which is how I got to that point. It tells the background information of uh, what I was doing and um, you know what my life was like and my background and everything um, back before I even met her, met this girl and and all that. And it works its way up through the book up to the arrest. And then part two of uh, that book uh, details what happened after the arrest. And uh, it ends right before I go into a jury trial for uh, trying to defend myself. Wow. And that that essentially completes Pin, and then Stains on the Gavel picks up uh, at that point. Stains on the Gavel has an extensive uh, introduction of what went on in the past. It's kind of a summarization, and then it picks up the day of the court and the conviction, and then, uh, you know, when I went to prison and, and all that, and uh, how I ended up, uh, you know, what what happened to me in, in the course of being incarcerated and and um, uh, how I ended up, uh, you know, fighting my way to the top and, and getting my freedom. Jeez. Now, you, you wrote, penned, the, t- the entire time what you were in jail waiting for the trial to start is that is that accurate you wrote the book the whole time you were you were in jail waiting for the trial to start no not actually cuz i didn't have access to anything and in kentucky the they don't subscribe to uh helping inmates that much i i i had a lot of difficulty in even just getting uh you know, legal texts to do the research on it. Um, basically, I wrote the outline of PIN when I was uh, out on, on bond before I went into a jury trial. And it sat there, uh, you know, I, I had saved it and archived it and sent it to a friend of mine. And it sat there for the time that I was incarcerated until I got out, and then I reworked the story and uh, and brought it out. I, you know, I went through the traditional publishing uh, things of uh, getting it, you know, copy edited and proofread and all that stuff and and all that after I had been finally released. So I was completely uh-huh. free of incarceration before the book actually came out. But the structure... Uh, the layout of it was it was all done. Now you're Mark Casey in the story, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And so you 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 go through you covering your life again, your to stage up into meeting this woman who I'm assuming she's Roxy, correct? That's correct. Oh, okay, because I was going to ask you what draws. I thought it was a novel, so I was going to ask you what draws Mark to Roxy. You met her online, but what what was it that attracted you to her? And then I have to ask you, has she already done this crime that you were you were pinned with when before you even got to Kentucky? Well, essentially, 
we met on a, um, she responded to a Craigslist um, ad that I had put in the personal column. Um, basically, it was something like, you know, I had a description of myself, and I, I, I had said that I was looking to have my soul kissed. And I, I didn't know, I had never been on Craigslist on personals or anything like that. I didn't know what the response would be. And she responded to it and, and uh, started, we opened up a dialogue, and she was down in, um, she wasn't in actually the area that I was looking at because I was looking to relocate to maybe Knoxville or, or North Carolina or something like that. But she was in Kentucky, and I thought, well, wow, she's down, you know, part way down near where I want to go. And as our online relationship developed, um, it, it just, it was magic. It was, it was like every single facet that I found desirable in a woman, she had. She was very but, witty. But she had was you, had you, this... This puts me in mind of the football player. I don't know if you heard about the story. And then there was somebody he was relating to. He was really involved into. And it turns out it wasn't even a woman. Cause, but had had. But they talked on the phone and everything. Had you, the two of you, ever met, or was it just emailing each other? Initially, it was just email. Then it went to uh, telephone conversations, and um, it got to the point where. We were talking on the phone every day, mm-hmm. and finally it came to a, a point where uh, we decided, you know, we have to have a face-to-face, mm-hmm. and uh, so what happened was um, I took a bus down to uh, Kentucky where she lived, and she picked me up, and my thought was to go down there for a week, have a meeting, you know, with her, and see how we get along, and and whatnot, and uh, I was intending to, you know, stay at a local uh, motel or something like that, and she wouldn't have anything to do with that. She is like, you're coming back to my house, and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, everything was just magic. And, and when I first, you know, laid eyes on her, she was just this absolutely model quality, beautiful, redheaded female. And doesn't that get the guys? <laughs> And, you know, I saw her face, and that's the last I saw in my heart. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, you guys, how long were you communicating before you, you actually moved to Kentucky? About two months. Oh, wow. That was quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. It okay. moved even quicker when, when I got down there. We had her face-to-face. I mean, um we stayed together down in Kentucky for about, oh, maybe two weeks. She had family and friends up in upstate New York, and so... Isn't that interesting? Yeah, both she, had was those... from, she was from my area, and her wow. daughter was uh, allegedly, her daughter was going to be graduating from Syracuse University, which later turned out it wasn't. It was a, a, a local college near here, but it wasn't Syracuse University. But it was like every everything that you know uh, that I presented, she responded immediately with exactly what I wanted to hear. Wow, that's almost scary when you think about it. When you think about how many people. Today, or, or and a lot of the relationships do work out, but there's your fair share that go very, very, very bad. Um, but a lot of people are they? They say they're busy. They don't have the time to get out and date like people used to meet people in person. So they're doing the online thing. But I know as a writer, I'll see um, ads for writers to write dating profiles for these sites and I'm like other people probably I've never done it but I'm thinking other people probably don't even know this person might not even be have written this ad somebody else could be doing this doing this for Mm -hmm. them and you're just you're just assuming that everything is legit is 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 legit they they, like you said you got 
that's that's kind of the thing because I, uh, even though I've had a lot of experience in business situations and been all over the country working and met a broad cross section of people, I still had that naivete that because I'm an honest and reputable individual, that most everybody else is too, and. I can spot a phony a mile away, and, you know, I had a certain uh, uh, ego problem with that because I, you know, my native trust in, in humanity and other people, and that played a big part in why she was able to manipulate me to the degree that she did. Wow. Can you, I don't know if you legally are able to, but can you give us some background, what you, I'm sure you probably once this happened, first of all, once you got arrested, did you even have a clue what was going on, or were you so blindsided that you probably thought they got the wrong guy? Actually, uh, and I detail that in the book, is when they were questioning me uh, the night of my arrest, they were trying to get me to say that, uh, you know, the reason for the, uh, the arrest, uh, what it was is they found a, a a large quantity of uh, illegal drugs in, in the house. Mm-hmm. And um, they were trying to get me to say that it was hers. And at that point, this is my lover. This is my girlfriend. I'm not going to implicate her. So I was mum about that situation. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't commit. I Basically, it was like, I, look, I don't know if it's hers or not, but it's not mine. Mm-hmm. And I just understand that in the background, you know, while she was uh, talking to them, she was going, oh, yeah, uh, he came down here and he bought uh, uh, you know, all these goodness. drugs with the intent to go back to New York and sell it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I didn't find that out until I got to jail and, and they uh, had given me my papers and all that. And I, I looked at at uh, her statement that was written down in there, and I almost fell over. You know, oh my God! Up until that point, I, I'm thinking I'm trying to protect her, and this is wrong, and you know this can't be happening. And and I look at what she wrote, and it was like, oh you know, yeah, he came down here, he bought up all these drugs. Wow! <laughs> oh my goodness! And there's a, there's a lot more to the story than it's than very interesting because you know, now I. It seems like there's another party involved that she knew that you later found out about. I mean, it, it makes it like you have to read the book to find out what to fill in the missing pieces. And maybe she was just looking for somebody, as in yourself, to be a, the scapegoat for whatever she was planning. Wow. Wow. Which is pretty pretty amazing. Did you, did you go then from that, everything she had told you, I'm assuming, and I'm thinking about that football player again. When that happened to him, it was all over ESPN. When when that happened to to you, did you then go and say, "I got I got to find out everything about this woman," and go back and dig up her past and start talking to people? If if someone would talk to you, because you were a stranger in Kentucky, um, did you do that? Being that you both, she said she was from upstate New York, and if so, were you able to? And do you do this in the book? A piece together some background on her as well. That's what I did. Uh, I mean, first of all, time moves at an incredibly slow pace down there because I'll give you for, uh, an example. I got arrested on a Thursday, and I'm used to, you know, the, the court cases that I've been involved in, not, you know, myself criminally or anything like that, but uh, in, in New York, I mean, you you know, people get arrested on Thursday and they're arraigned the next day. They go in front of the judge and uh, they hear the case and and the judge makes a determination whether they're going to go to jail or whether they're going to get behind or, or you know, what, what the deal is. Not so in Kentucky. I sat in jail for a full week before the court case even came up in front of the judge. And um, basically they said, well, we don't believe your story, and you're incarcerated, and we'll get back to you. And threw me back in jail. And it went on and on and on like that for four months before oh. I was ever given the opportunity to even bond out, to even get free. 
Mm. And, and so once I got free and, and I was out on bond and uh, I started doing background investigation, which in reality I should have done in the beginning, but I didn't. Right. Uh, oh, that's when the floodgates opened up and I wow. found out so much about her that she had been in several mental institutions oh. that the uh, the person before me that had lived with her before me uh, allegedly uh, had blown his brains out and uh, it's disclosed in there uh, you know, in a conversation that I'd had with her, that in reality she shot him and got away mm. with it, and all these little bits and pieces, like uh, like parts of a tapestry, started coming together, and it painted wow. a very black picture. And this mm. wasn't the first time that she had done this. I mean, uh, just to give you an example. Uh, she had had her husband, who was a Canadian national, arrested for domestic abuse, had him deported from the country because he was a foreign uh, national. He wasn't a citizen in the United States. And then she promptly took all his construction equipment and everything and sold it. Jeez. Gee, so you learned before before we go on for our listeners, and then again I'm going back to that football player, and I'm told that this is more common than people might want to believe. But for people who you see the ads and Match.com, and I'm thinking of I'm seeing more and more of them on. There's one for a Jewish dating site, Christian dating site. People just assume like if you go to a Christian dating site, these are like you did. All these people are who they say they are. I knew a guy who told me he he was he met a woman online, and when he met her in person, the way she described herself was so, I mean, physically, so far from the facts, he couldn't believe it. He said he just wanted to run. It's it's So people, you know, just because, like you said, you might be honest, you have to keep it. There are people who play games on, on these, and we see that in the news stories that some of these games turn fatal. But um, what advice would you have? to a listener who maybe goes to the Christian dating site or something, and they just assume these are all good, upstanding people, would never tell a lie. They're who they say they are. They don't have anybody writing their profiles. They're not using somebody else's picture. What, what would you say to somebody who's about to either get married or just sell all their stuff and go move in with somebody that they met online? Well, I guess looking back at it, um, I think that the uh, – the entire internet dating scene is a valid concern because there's an awful lot of lonely people out there that are just looking. They, you know, whatever their lifestyle is, maybe they, you know, they're not uh, comfortable going into a uh, cocktail lounge or uh, you know meeting people in public, so they have to resort to meeting people via, you know, uh, some sort of a dating site or like like I did Craigslist. And all that. So I, I think there is validity in that, but um, I would, I would issue the, the caveat that um, do your due diligence. It's fine to have a dialogue that's harmless over the internet, but if it starts getting to where you're thinking about meeting one on one or going out on a date or something like that. Spend the money and do a background investigation and dig up whatever dirt they're not telling you. Because, let's face it, um, you know, people are not going to point out their bad side. They're, they're right. always trying to point out their good side. And, mm-hmm. yes, you do have people that are, you know, they're, they're taking uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez's picture and putting it on, on themselves and, and playing and all that. But if you get down to the nitty-gritty and you go to meet them, well, then you'd immediately know that they've been lying to you. But it's not so easy when they actually are putting their picture out on there and they actually are telling truths and half-truths and hiding the dark side. So mm. I, I would recommend 
you know, if you're going to go into this arena, it's fine to go into the arena and and, uh, and investigate it, and and maybe potentially you will find your your soulmate. But do your due diligence. Do a background check on everybody that you have any intention of going out and dating and me- meeting on a physical level. Because now, how? But how do you do that? Employers like employers can do a background check, and they can find out if you had any. Um, your, any criminal anything comes up on your criminal background history, they can find out if if you lied about schools you said you went to. They can find out you know certain if you lied and you said you had all these degrees and you don't have them. They can they can find out if you lied and you said you worked for some big company and you never ever worked at that firm. They can get that, but like you said with this woman with the mental illness or somebody setting somebody up for. Char- charging them with something that they didn't do, and then having them deported—that—that that, if that person wasn't convicted, they're probably not going to show up on a criminal background check. How, like, you probably had to really dig or hire a private detective to do that for you. How would somebody do that if it's in? You know what? I want to date somebody online. I want to get a background check on them. Would they have to go through a, a a private detective? I don't. I don't think a normal background check would pull that up. You know, there's services out there uh, that, uh, you know, you do a search on their name and it comes up, yeah, we we have information on this. And for a fee, they will give you their uh, their home address, the phone number, uh, professional certificates, uh, uh, you know, history of spouses. And, and uh, I mean, if they had a... Uh, divorces in the past, it's going to show up. Anything, any criminal uh, arrest charges are going to show up. You pay these services, and it's anywhere from, I think, probably about 20 to $50 or so you pay, and you, you'll you get a summarization. Now, obviously, it's not going to tell you whether, uh, you know, they lived in an abusive relationship and they got divorced or anything like that, but it, the glaring lies are going to stand out. I mean, if they wow. didn't have a degree from from a college or if they weren't actually licensed to be a nurse or whatever, that's going to show up. But it's not going to tell their deepest, darkest secrets, but at least it gives you uh, a full... You can see that this person's not truthful. Yeah, yeah. Or, the, or they are. You know. Right. I mean... You know, the old saying, all the glitters is not necessarily gold. It's very true in this. And I, I would just recommend to everybody that if they're going to go into this, it's fine to go into it, but take a, a jaundiced view of it. Look at it with a healthy degree of pragmatism uh, until you are proven wrong, until you are proven, hey, it is gold. Yeah, wow. I think I'd have to agree with that. And I think as we move forward with more of the online dating and so much stuff going mobile, and uh, it's just it, 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 our our society is changing. And I think that I, I can only imagine. And when I think about it, something like that would make a great novel where you have these two people meet online, and one of them's got a very checkered past. <laughs> the other one is 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 a stand up person. And they get this person involved in something that takes them years, years to get out of. Oh, my goodness. i got to ask you, and and I know the the character for our uh, off-the-shelf listeners, who is Charles is Mark Casey and then the woman is Roxy again. Would the situation for Mark or yourself be different if you were from the South? And I'm now starting to talk about stains on the gavel. Somebody who has long roots in the same town that they're going to Charlie in? Would it, would it have been different? Um, my opinion on that is yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only reason why I'm, I hold back a little bit on it is uh, in the situation that I was in, it was a small little town that uh, everybody knew everybody else's business. And uh, I'll give you a for instance. Um, oh, let me ask you before you go on. I have to ask you this: How long had Roxy lived in this town? Uh, she had been here maybe about a year. 
okay. she had uh, she had been all over the country, and she was married at the time. Her husband um, bought. Uh, well, that's another part of the story. I mean, her her trailer in she lived in Florida. Her trailer, where her husband lived, mysteriously blew up one day, and. Um, I think it was an attempt on her husband's life, but I can't be sure of it. Uh, but uh, at any rate, they moved. They took the money, the proceeds that they got from the insurance. They bought this property uh, in Kentucky. And ultimately, uh, she had lived there well, maybe a year with him. And there, there's a lot of incidences that, that uh, uh, they were fighting all the time. And he, you know, he just did his best to get away. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, she was looking for an escape, and she found it um, by, you know, getting him charged with domestic violence and getting him yeah. thrown away. And, and, uh, but the thing is that um, it, there's a possibility that uh, somebody from the locale would know the judge or the prosecuting attorney or something like that, and they're, they're a good old local boy. And they would have been given a little more latitude or a lot more slack uh, than some Yankee that had just come down there to buy drugs and, uh, uh, you know, they weren't from the area and they didn't like any outsiders or anything like that. And, boy, they were bound to determine they were going to get this person. Right, yeah. So I think... If it was a local person or a southern person in, in general, they would have been given a little bit more latitude. Uh, just mm-hmm. for an example, uh, if, if this incident would have happened in Louisville or Bowling Green or something like that, there's no way that I would have been charged with this. I would have been given a, an appearance ticket and charged $100 and, you know, don't do it again. But in this wow. small little town where it's, run by good old boys, it's a good old boy club, uh, you know, hey, you know, we can get this guy here and make ourselves look good. Wow. Did, did, do, do you describe the town in detail and some of the people in the town in the book? I do. I do. It's a small little community in south-central Kentucky. Uh People don't lock their doors. There's no gang violence or anything like that. It's, you know, pretty laid back. And like I say, everybody knows everybody else's business. Wow. Do, do Does does Mark, did you have any allies in Kentucky? You know what? I have to ask you, how long, and I might have asked you this before and forgot, how long were you in Kentucky? You came down, you stayed for two weeks, you went back, then you... So after the two weeks, you went back to New York. How long were you in New York before you moved down to Kentucky for good? And then how long were you living in Kentucky when this whole incident broke out? Well, we went up to New York. Uh, she got with her family. She got to see her daughter's graduation. Um, in the meantime, I bought a, a new car, and uh, we you know, packed up all, all the stuff that was in the storage uh, storage uh, component, you know, like a storage bin where I had my stuff stored, and she had stuff stored in her storage bin. Packed that all up, put it in a U-Haul, and we came back. That was about two weeks up in upstate New York. And it was like, I mean, up until that point, it was heavenly bliss. I was in heaven. Wow. It was almost as if, as soon as we hit the Kentucky state line, she reached over and threw a switch that went from angel to devil because nothing was right after that. Wow. And six weeks later, I was in jail. So well, oh, my goodness. Six weeks. Jeez. <laughs> did, did you have oh, yeah. any allies, anybody, any allies, anybody pulling for you in Kentucky, and if so, can you just tell us briefly about those people? No, I had nobody. I didn't know a soul. I had oh briefly met two of the neighbors that lived on her road. And you got to understand, the residence that she had was a 23-acre farm outside of town out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, 
five miles from the main highway. Jeez. And uh, the, the closest neighbor was a mile away. So I had wow. met that one person that lived a mile away, and I'd met the person that lived a, a mile the other direction once. And, oh, my and God. that was it. Didn't know anybody in town. They had no resources or anything like that. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of other elements that I didn't go into detail, um, you know, on this interview, but it's, they're detailed in the book. I mean, right. I had opened up a, a, a bank account. I wanted a local bank account, and she basically said, "Oh, I'll take care of it, not a problem," and went and got the forms <sighs> and everything, and and it turned out that it was a joint bank account. Oh. And I told her, I said, yeah, I'm and I know how that went. Yeah. Well, she cleaned as soon as you I out. got incarcerated, guess what happened to all the money? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Is, is Roxy back in town uh, as Stains on the Gavel starts to unfold? Is she back in town? Well, Stains on the Gavel uh, is basically, it's, it, start, it gives a background story, uh, a summarization of the background, and then starts out my day in court, and it goes through the the whole conviction process. I was convicted, and I was sentenced to five years in penitentiary for felony. And I, I, I went, and I was transferred from jail to jail to jail to jail to jail, 13 times in total. Every time I would uh, complain about uh, my medical conditions, I would be transferred. And it was only through dumb luck that I met a person, another inmate in uh, jail that was very savvy in the legal maneuverings. And he helped me a great deal in being able to write my own legal briefs. And I was successful in those legal briefs and ended up, uh, you know, eventually getting out. And uh, when when the whole case was over with, um, I... I was still living in Kentucky, and I came back up to upstate New York and found out that Roxy had married my (laughs) ex-roommate. So to answer your question, yes, she still lives in in Syracuse, New York. She's married to my ex-roommate, and uh, the first and I know that she had plans. For something bad to happen to him, and um, I put the kibosh on that. I, I put a stopper on that. Uh, I sent the local police and the state police complete dossier on her 21 different aliases and all the stuff that I'd found in my oh. research and all that. And so she's kind of a lame duck now. She's very, very miserable, as her husband is. And there's details in there why they are still together. Uh, she can't do anything as far as getting rid of him, and uh, he can't do anything as far as getting rid of her. So, oh, my God. This should be a movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, my that's God. Why, I mean, I, that's oh, why I Oh, this is tragic. And you know what? It's, it's also scary. This I is scary to me. I on the gavel because that is the full story. And oh, I promote God. end as a prequel, as what happened before, because, quite frankly, uh, pinned has a lot of graphic sex in it, and the reason for that was I was right. It was the first novel that I had written, and um, I was writing from my heart. Mm-hmm. I was very hurt at the time, and uh, I was trying to detail as much as I could about how the relationship unfolded and all that stuff. And if I had to do it over again, I would dial that down a little bit because I got I, I did get some negative comments about the graphic sex in it. Uh, Scenes on the Gavel isn't nearly as graphical, and it tells the whole story. So if people want to know the story, read Scenes on the Gavel. If they want to know the background in depth, then pick up the prequel, which is pinned. Wow. Now, one reviewer said this about Stains on the Gavel. It said it's a dark, gritty, down-and-dirty crime has been committed, and justice has been railroaded in the name of revenge and a good old boy network of trusted 
public law enforcement authorities. Unfortunately, a man in his 60s is a victim of this injustice, dealing with prison time for crimes he did not commit, and is stonewalled at every attempt to prove his innocence or even get a fair day in court. Stains on the gavel by Charles Macy have my skin crawling in frustration at times, not because this isn't a great read, but because it is so powerfully written. Other than just telling your story, were there, were there any other inspirations for why you decided some people would rather hide it and not, and ne- they wouldn't want anybody to know but it was other than other than telling your story was there any other anything else that inspired you to write stains on the gavel essentially uh as you brought up earlier a, a kind of a warning to to because i know this goes on in the social environment you know people go into uh, the different dating services, uh, and they they should be made aware of the fact that it's not something that is strictly happens to women. You know, mm. you read all these horror stories about ladies getting involved with men that are axe murderers and haven't disclosed that little fact and all that stuff, but you very rarely read a story where the man is the victim, and that's what makes my my book my story stand apart, um, it, it, it's it's not related to gender. It happens to men, too. Mm, yeah. I've I, I got to ask you next. I mean, this story, it sounds very, very gripping and interesting. Um, it's amazing that this lady is still out there. But, look, this stuff happens. We see trials. Uh, I forget the one where the woman, they thought she had, Murdered her ch- her child, and she walked. This stuff happens. You, you look at all the evidence, and pe- some people you, you can't believe it. You're like, I can't believe they're still out there, but they are. Are Are you working on any new material? I know you also wrote a children's book, A Boy in the Bend. Are you working on any any new material, any novels? And if so, could you give our off the shelf listeners a glimpse into what you're working on and when you know it might be out on the market? Well, I just published a book of jokes that's out on uh, on the circuit now, 52 Weeks of Jokes, um, and I'm working on Boy in the Bin. Boy in the Bin is, it's essentially, it's a, it's a young adult adventure novel, um, and I'm, my, my deadline on that is to have that out by August or September of uh, this year. Uh, so I'm still working on that. I'm still writing that. And, oh, okay. Uh, but that that it's not it's the central character of Boy in the Bin is an as adolescent boy. He's like seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. But it's a read that uh would be targeted for uh adolescents or adults. It's a mystery. Oh, okay. So that's what I'm writing now. Um I think the question you were asking is if there would be any more story related to Pinned and Steamed and the Gavel as far as what happened to Roxy and all that. Mm-hmm. And I have to say a definitive no. She's living in hell with her new husband. And I'm free as a bird, traveling all over the country. Uh, having a great time. I'm going on a cruise next month down to Honduras and Cozumel. I'm living a good life right now. Uh, no less thanks to her because she afforded me a vehicle to be able to do that. And the only way that there would be any further dialogue uh, as far as her life or her husband's life or anything like that would be if she were to get arrested. Mm. Uh, then I would pick up the reins on that, and I would go with that story. But I don't see any more uh, publications coming out in relation to her because it's—I mean—the story's been told, right? And like you say, it's—you know—it's material for a movie. Um, it'd be great on Lifetime Channel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's. It's, I don't see any more to the story. The story's been told. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, and and your interest, me. your interest to book publishing came through a very unfortunate experience. 
Oh, my God, very unfortunate real-life experience. My goodness, my goodness. And I'm, I'm researching this whole interview thinking that this was a novel the whole time I'm, I'm doing, writing and preparing for the interview. Now I have to ask, and I ask all my guests this, or most of them, writing and publishing a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that's like the first step. Then you have to actually sell the book. Can you share, and then last few minutes, we only have a few minutes left, what for about three or four marketing steps have you found to work for you that some of our other off-the-shelf listeners might be able to take advantage of? Well, I just, uh, you know, I did a lot of self-promotion. I've been going out. I've been doing book signings and shows and getting my name and face out there as, as much as possible. But I was limited in my contact list and all that. And I ended up uh, just hiring a publicist here within the last 30 days. Okay. The publicist, basically what they do is they write articles about me and about the book, and they put them in major publications. And it's not limited to a writer's publication. You know, there might be an article about me in Ladies Home Journal or Red Book or uh, U.S. News and World Report or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's whoever is interested in that particular article that they write. Mm-hmm. And it's a five-month program, um, and so they're on top of it all. Any requests from reviewers come into them, and they provide them with a review copy of the book, and they handle it all. It takes a lot of weight off me, and mm-hmm. they're expensive. A PR company is very expensive, but it's money well spent because they have the contact list that I didn't have. They mm-hmm. know where to put the articles and how to make the biggest impact. And so if if, if I were going to make a recommendation to any other uh, authors that are trying to market their book, and there's a lot of different ways. I mean, there's social media. Um, there's... Uh, uh, doing um, as I did, you know, a lot of shows and stuff like that. But bang for the buck, I think the publicist, having a publicist in your corner, uh, taking the weight off you is a viable way of uh, going about doing it because what it does is it free, in my case, it frees me up and allows me to concentrate on my core, which is writing. Right. I don't have to do a lot of the marketing. You know, mm-hmm. John Grish once said, hey, it's easy to write a book. The problem is selling a book. Yes, yep. You know, and uh, so that's uh, that's essentially where it's at. And, you know, anybody that thinks that they can write a book, put it out on uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and just wait for the checks to roll in, they're sadly <laughs> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Before we go, can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners where they can get copies of Pinned and Stains on the Gavel? Uh, both books are available through um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other uh, you know bookstores. It's, uh, amazingly, I do a big business in Australia, and I don't know why. I don't do as much anywhere near Europe. But uh, oh. domestically, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble are, are the two places to get the book. They can also get it from directly from the publisher, which is Outskirts Press. Um, and there's a link on my website, uh, StarshowPublications.com, that will link right to it. In fact, uh, anybody that's interested uh, in reading. Um, they can go to my website and poke around a little bit, and they can download four or five chapters of Stains in the Gavel for free. It's wow, a PDF okay. File. They just download it for free. And then if they're interested, they, the the links are there for them to buy it through uh, Barnes & Noble or Amazon or you know, whoever is selling it. Okay. We want to thank thank you, Charles. We've been delighted to have Charles Macy here with us on Off the Shelf today. We'll be coming down to a close of today's 
show. He's working on A Boy in the Bin, which is a, a young adult novel, but adults can also read and enjoy it. He's also the author of Pinned, A Kentucky True Crime. It's, it's about a real-life experience. Anybody in online dating or dating period, anybody with, in a relationship I, may want to read Pinned, A Kentucky True Crime, and stains on the gavel. So, again, Pinned, A Kentucky True Crime, and stains on the gavel, and he's working on A Boy in the Bin. You can find Charles... Uh, online at starshowpublications.com. And again, his books are available online and offline, so please go out and support him. We want to thank Charles again for taking time out of his busy schedule to be here with us on Off the Shelf this Saturday morning. Please, as I always tell you and encourage you, tell your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, everybody you know who loves books, who loves entertainment, to tune in to Off the Shelf, 11 o'clock on Saturday mornings, New York City time, 11 a.m. Saturday. Uh, Every Saturday we bring you fabulous, fabulous guests, and we've had such a broad range of guests on our show, and we have a guest who's coming up. He is an international, I mean a worldwide best-selling author, sold over 120 million copies of his books, and his books have been adapted for television and film. So, Please, please continue to tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And as I always tell you, you are so amazing. You are fabulous. You are awesome. Go out and create a wonderful day for yourself, listeners. See you back here next Saturday, 11 o'clock. Thank you so much, Charles. I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.